0: The Athletic
1: This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and joining us as usual this week are The Athletic's Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitton. Finally, the international break is nearly over and we can start looking forward to, I hope, watching Manchester United again. On today's pod demo, we'll look forward to that trip to Watford on Saturday. We'll check in on the fitness of United's players returning from international duty. Laurie's been busy going through a sizeable mailbag so we'll pick out some of the best themes from that. And Andy will also be telling Telling us about the time that he spent with not one but two united legends of completely different eras
2: hello Laurie. welcome yeah how are you doing ian i'm good I'm, I'm nice and awake watching andy on the zoom here uh, are you bright with his with his fluorescent highlighter pen of a hoodie Uh, And the first thing that came to my mind was, and I don't know if this is a bit niche for people, but Motsu Mabusi, the Strictly Come Dancing judge, who who this weekend was uh, wearing a similarly coloured dress uh, to judging. It's a a perfect 10 for me, Andy, anyway, for your attire today.
1: (laughs) It's marvellous, Andy, I have to say. I didn't know they made hoodies in that colour.
3: Thank you. I'm not a Borussia Dortmund fan and it's not Sheffield United's away kit from the early 90s. And I have got a pink hoodie. It got sent to me a few weeks ago. And I really like it. So you can hammer me for that. Um, but I might wear it now that you like this fluorescent one. I'm up for the pink one in the future. I'd
1: say pink's probably better than that, if I'm honest. Well, cheers. I, I can't think of a worse colour
2: for a hoodie. If I'm At like least he's not, he's not going to get run down in the street, though, is he? There's, there's going to be nobody missing that. No, no one's no, missing. I him, just thought, if,
3: if I wear this to Villarreal next week, everyone's going to think I'm a Villarreal fan. The yellow <laughs> submarines. <so. laughs>
1: You'll be bouncing in the way end in that hoodie, Andy, definitely. Right. Um, apparently, United played two weeks ago, Andy. I, I can't remember anything that happened uh, at all, really. I, th- I think I've just used the last two weeks to forget
3: it all. Um, have you forgotten it? <laughs> I feel like I'm surfacing from it the last few days um, from a dark place. And I know this is only a game of football, but... I'm still annoyed about it. I really am. I thought that it was a terrible performance. I thought the way United set up, I thought it was much worse than the Liverpool game. And I walked out of Old Trafford saying that was shit, 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 shit. And I've really not changed my opinion. I think that City was so much better than Manchester United. And we're not just going to spend this podcast talking about that game, but it was just a, a, a low for this season for me. And, Manchester United need to correct that by winning football matches. I'm looking forward to Watford at the weekend. I'm looking forward to United having a big block of games where the playing We've got the return of midweek Premier League matches as well. Um, am I confident that results are just going to start flying again? No, I'm not. But the optimist in me, which will never go away, hopes that Manchester United will play really well at Watford... And then at Villarreal, and then at Chelsea, and then against Arsenal. So
1: such an important runner game, such an important week on the road straight away for Manchester United, Laurie, isn't it?
2: yep yeah, I've been plotting my path, um, you know, down to Watford on Saturday, and then Villarreal and, and Chelsea. So it's it's you know massive games really, and Solsha needs to. Start with a win, you know. Anything other than a win at Watford, and and you know the scrutiny will just mount. The pressure will be immense. Clearly, they've got a quick turnaround for the game against Villarreal on Tuesday, which itself is a really pivotal one. If they if they can win that, then they're pretty they're through. A loss, and it then gets a very you know tense situation. A draw would be okay, but no, I think they've obviously they've had the week off. You know, we can debate the merits of that, which we did do in terms of could they have? added did. um Listen, people are saying you know the players were absolutely you know exhausted so allow them some time to breathe have a bit of a a mental cleanse come back refreshed you know there's plenty of days building up to Watford now to get your sort of team shape in mind and players coming back from international duty Solskjaer obviously returned from Norway I mean the squad you know it's looking there's a few little issues though I suppose in terms of who he picks for, for Watford given Paul Pop was obviously out with his thigh injury Raphael Varane out with his hamstring injury both were, were in at Carrington last week to kind of get checked up on Luke Shaw is he going to be fit after his concussion editing Cavani I think he's a real you know he was a real big miss against Man City after he played so well against Tottenham you know he's had some treatment on his tendon in his knee so you know is he going to be fit we had marcus rashford and mason greenwood training with the uh, under 18s under 23s uh, for a couple of sessions last week so you know they they've been you know ticking over rashford hopefully over his bout of illness to full fitness because you know rashford at, at full flight is a real potent weapon for united but lots of different issues to debate and, and who's he going to start against watford you know you'd think that with the defenders available he'd go to a back four but i suppose given that it's against watford you'd, you'd want to United to be on the front foot.
1: Yeah let's get to the mailbag then uh, and that article that you've done this week Laurie because you were absolutely inundated with questions, responses, comments. I think one of the questions got about 60 odd likes alone didn't it? Um, it was a great response from Athletic subscribers so thank you uh, for any Manchester United fans who got involved with that. What was the sort
2: of the standout theme then a uh, uh, of that for you, Laurie. To be fair, the questions were sort of fresh. They were. It wasn't like we we're going over old ground. Donny still got mentioned, didn't he? Donny did. I mean, to be fair, it's kind of like it feels like maybe a, a moment for, for Van der Beek. A fresh. There were different angles to it. You know, one was asking whether his experience would uh, affect whether new signings would how they would view Manchester United as a destination basically is this now his moment for, for the Watford game with Pogba being out with him sort of doing quite well uh, well certainly against Atalanta when he came off the bench and you know with him obviously having like a, a bit of a break and, and with with you know, Fred playing twice for Brazil and I do think that this is probably the, the moment you know, from since he last started a game in the Premier League, that this is his best, you know, chance to, to play to start from the beginning, um, and so I, I can understand why people are kind of having that question because you know, forty million in this day and age, as Roy Keane has said, isn't you know a whole lot of money. You know, Nathan Ake was bought for the same um, amount against uh, for Man City, um, but the difference being that sort of Donny was was kind of bought with a the idea that he you know he was kind of trumpeted a little bit, wasn't he? Whereas you could always tell that Ake was going to be a sort of backup defender for Man City. So that's why there's more focus on what's happening with Van Der Beek. And then obviously with the situation with Jaden Sancho, people are sort of thinking, is there a, a, some kind of theme going on there? But the main sort of thrust at the questions was obviously Solskjaer's position. You know, who makes that call? What sort of points in the season? What kind of triggers will mean that actually United do make a change? Has there been any kind of Clandestine talks behind the scenes, and then you know a few people were, were thrown out. Eric Ten Hag and Ralph Rangnick as sort of alternatives, and, and what's going on with those people. So hopefully, I, I tried to answer it in you know to the best of my knowledge. You know, clearly, I don't know if Andy's heard any different, but the the idea that United are looking to make a change is, is not there right now. You know, it's not only sort of private briefings that that perhaps the club might be wanting to put out there, but also you know, conversations that they're having with people that are proposing, you know, potential successes to Ole Solskjaer. So it seems a pretty consistent message. Um, But, you know, time will tell on that. Andy?
3: It is consistent because you might get the club's version, which is, we're not intending to change Oli. We know that there are clear issues here. We're sticking with him for now. But that's one version of the truth. And in football, there's often more than one version of the truth. And Laurie and I speak to people Um, outside of the club to do our job properly and among those people might be agents and I know of agents who've put their clients into Manchester United and they are told by United who take the call because they've got to take the call United are not stupid thank you thanks for getting in touch thanks for letting us know for now we're sticking with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer so Manchester United's uh, manager's job is, is very very attractive to, to football managers, believe it or not. But at the moment, United are sticking with him. And as journalists, we've got to report the truth. And if you can cross reference the, the truth, then th- that gives you the confidence to 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 write it. So I've given been given no indication that Ollie's been given free games or is about to be sacked. Situations can change easily. I think if United lose the next three matches, the mood gets even lower. It becomes almost untenable. I think if United don't get out of this Champions League group, it will be a major failure. But that's just me being um, subjective. I'm not the one making the decision.
1: Laurie mentioned a moment ago, Andy, as well, all the different sort of names that have been linked. One that I think we can probably just about put to bed is Zinedine Zidane, isn't it? I've, I've spoken to quite a few French journalists about. His interest in coming to England, which seems very low uh, in terms of managing in the Premier League, I believe he, he, he still hasn't uh, learned English either, which is maybe an indication of his interest as well. And he seems to be lined up to replace Didier Deschamps after the next World Cup as well. What what's been sort of the narrative in Spain about Zidane, Andy? That he's enjoying
3: life playing paddle tennis in Madrid uh, with his family. <laughs> um, he's got a really cool Instagram profile where he sends himself up a little bit; doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, when he was at Madrid, the, the pressure really gets to you at a club like that. It, it's non-stop. If you think that Manchester United do um, a managerial press conference once a week or before every game at Madrid, it's, it's basically every day. They're right on top of you. And it's so political. And you're at a club where you're constantly undermined by the club president, who I've spoke to past Madrid managers, three of them, and they've all said, he didn't speak to me for nine months or he told me I've got to play this player. So to be fair, I've never heard that at Manchester United. I've never heard Joel Glazer say, you've got to be playing this player. That has happened at Madrid. Now you might argue, given the number of European cups that they've won, (laughs) that they actually uh, got it right. Uh, With Zidane, I've not been given any indication that he wants to manage in England, that his wife wants to move uh, to England. I know a lot of people in Madrid. People can change their mind. People can... Um, Think actually, I quite I quite fancy that. I really want to go to you know Lim Garden Centre. It's something I've always appealed to. Living close to Manchester, I've been fascinated. Do we have by paddle
1: board the here. Pa- No, paddle know. tennis
3: isn't really big in in in, in the UK. Um, and now, from United's perspective, they've got to look at the potential candidates who will take over Ollie. because United's a public listed company and the one consistent that they have done is unlike tottenham for example when a manager has gone they've had somebody else lined up so it would be negligent for manchester united not to do that not to know that the current feeling around x is this or y is that or his tax situation is this and that's for united to to work out what they what they do there and to be well prepared you know Gold golden solskjaer didn't just wake up the morning of Jose Mourinho being sacked and fly to Manchester. He was. He knew what was going to go on. And th- These are the great unsaids in in football, but he, he knew. He had a good indication. And there are managers now and agents who are looking. You know, what, one guy rang me, and the last time I'd heard from him was in August, and he said to me, do you know who the sporting director at, at Arsenal is? Because I'd known the previous one. And he said, is Edu the man now? And I said, yeah, he is. And he wanted to put his client in. And Arsenal's line back to him was um, "We're sticking with Arteta, which at the time seemed a pretty unusual take, but Arsenal might feel that they've been vindicated with that. So United will be getting and are getting agents going into them. Um, But at the moment, as Laurie and I have consistently said, Ollie's the man.
1: Laurie, let's go back to the fan share scheme then because that came up, didn't it, during um, the mailbag and all the questions that came in. The accounts as well that have been published. I mean, what were the other highlights for you? Yeah, I was
2: interested by the fan share scheme because obviously we had a bit of a development this week where Sky News put out a report and then Manchester United gave a a bit of a background, released a statement and and must as well did Manchester United Sports Trust who were in talks with um, the club over how this is going to look because it's obviously one thing for the Glazers to say, "Yeah, we're going to have fans owning shares. We're going to have that um, dialogue now, and, and kind of have a, a real representation from fans." It's another thing: how does that actually look in reality? The figure that came out from Sky News was ten million dollars worth of, of shares, which is a drop in the ocean compared to the, the kind of the level that the Glazers have. Um, but that what I've been told is that that's the first. Sort of issuance of it, you know. That's not to say, right? We're doing that one batch, and then that's that's it. It's kind of let's see what the demand is at that point. If there's good demand, you know, we're open to more, you know, um, issuances of, of these shares. Now, clearly, that's not going to be enough to you know rival the Glazers for decision-making process. It's not going to be enough to challenge any calls they might want to make on, you know, for example, the Super League, which is what has triggered all of this. But I do think it's a, a positive step towards having fan representation at a high level uh, and it's just up to people being able to put their hand in their wallets and committing to these shares there was one sort of thought that i had to, to think because these shares importantly are worth the same voting rights as the glazers class b shares which are worth 10 times the amount of the class a shares which are the ones sold on the new york stock exchange and that's that's you know integral really and, and that would make these shares very valuable to investors for example so my thought was could could an investor get their hands on these um but that's part of the negotiation where they're trying to work out the mechanisms to make sure that this won't be abused and that the people that get these shares are fans you know are people that have for years had commitment to the club not people that just see it as a money-making opportunity so i just thought it was a really interesting development and it's something to keep an eye on because that's ultimately at the heart of what people want you know we've had protests and we've had clearly since the glazers took over people trying to get them out of the club this is the first time that it feels like something meaningful could happen from it and clearly it's a very small thin end of a wedge at the moment but it feels like it could go in the right direction so that was something that i found quite interesting from the the mailbag and and this week the accounts came out this week the, the first quarter and you know clearly they're much more positive than they were you know, in the in the past quarter and even the quarter of last year when the pandemic was at its grip so they've lost 10 million compared to 27 million uh, this same stage last season which is better and w- one sort of aspect of it that I found quite interesting was the fact that they'd made 17.4 million on intangible assets which is basically transfers that compares to last year where they made a loss of 12.6 million which was basically the disposal of Alexis Sanchez which just shows you how sort of bad that piece of business was where and the the 12.6 is basically that's his book value at the time of him going on a free to inter was basically you know around that price so for him going for free that's how much they've lost
1: right United back in action, of course, on Saturday after the international break. We've we've sort of previewed it a little bit already. A huge week of away games at Watford, Villarreal and Chelsea to come. A really important run for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Andy. But actually, an important run for the club generally because they need to really pick up from this point now, don't they? They can't really afford to look like the team that was struggling before the international break. They need to make this a fresh start, don't they?
3: Manchester United have got to win and play well at Watford. Fans are at the end of their tether. We did the survey on The Athletic last week where 70% of Manchester United fans polled said they would like to change the manager right now. The mood is on the floor. The manager and the players, some of it's on the players as well, i have got to pick it up. Watford are uh, an eminently beatable team. Then again, you look at some of the other stats. Aston Villa i have lost every match since they, they, won, they won at Old Trafford. Everton got a draw, then just started losing. So I think we said they were tricky tests at the time. As well, I mean, we? you could look at them <laughs> in an even worse light than what we're, we're looking at them. You've got the blocker matches, because it's not just about Watford. You've had the break now. United have got to get a rhythm going. Got to be winning, got to be playing well. And if they don't, I just can't see a way out for the manager. Because the pressure which is already intense will get to the point where people will be even more angry. I'd like to say we'll stop going to matches but I don't think they will. Someone said to me yesterday, United are absolutely terrible at the moment but I still can't get a Watford ticket. You know, People are still going to all of the games. The Watford FA Cup game last year was disappointing but United got through. No excuses. None, none, none at all. And those players... I'm not going to say the words bouncing back because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the half-hearted, the mess of the social media, the insincerity of, of it all. Go to Watford and play like they did a few years ago. I think December 17. Really good good, good game there. And batter Watford and then go to Villarreal and play well and then go to Chelsea and and play well. And then you've got the two home games against um, Arsenal and Crystal Palace. There's, there's, no, there's no plan B here. United have got to turn up.
1: Laurie as well, Andy sort of alluded to it there, but they need to use Watford, then Villarreal to sort of build something to take on Chelsea, don't they? Because Chelsea feels like a test akin to Manchester City and Liverpool, which United have failed in recent times. I mean, obviously the style of Chelsea is different to, to, to Liverpool and different to City again. But that feels like a huge test again, doesn't it? That they need to be ready for.
2: They can't afford to limp into that game. No, they need confidence because it seemed like it was on the floor against Man City where they were sort of too nervous to try and do anything because they were just concerned about keeping the score down, which is understandable when you've been beating 5-0 at home to Liverpool. But equally, it's not very conducive to a good football team. I mean, I see the Chelsea one as a little bit more of a chance for United just because yeah they're the European champions and they've looked really good machine-like really under Tuchel but I kind of feel like it's not like they're going to be playing expansive football but yeah it all starts with this Watford game because as Andy said, you know that that the last time at Vickage Road was absolutely disastrous. Uh, I was there, and you know it was that one where De Gea flaps one in his own net, right? And and then Troy Deeney scores a penalty when Wambasaka gets his his tackle all wrong and he you know, dives in. And I was just looking at the team actually from that day, and it's it's difficult to think of how different it will be. It is, there's not loads of well, I mean the, the back four, back five was De Gea, Lindelof, Maguire, Shaw, wan which is very much likely going to be the back you know five against them again this time Fred and McTominay midfield okay could could again be the case uh, and then yeah it was Lingard Dan James Marshall, and Rashford so you'd expect the front four to be you know vastly different but that was the game where united were just struggling for any kind of creativity Pogba came on after a long time out um, and you know basically did about four five Key passes within 20 minutes um, and then promptly got injured again um, a, a game later so it was a real disastrous game a, a, a dispiriting afternoon so hopefully it's nothing like that this time. No and I
1: need to bring this up a little bit when I think of Watford Manchester United I seem to think of a game where Marcus Rashford was on the bench an unused sub and Memphis Depay was the striker and looked absolutely brilliant this was under Louis van Gaal wasn't it Andy do you remember that game?
3: Not really, mate. I'm sorry. The two I remember recently, (laughs) off the top of my head, Watford. United going top of the league at Watford, Sveinsteiger, that was in the November, and Luke Shaw getting hammered by Jose Mourinho, that was at Watford away as well. As well as the game in 2019, which Laurie's quite right, the other thing about that 19 game, United had beaten City and Tottenham in the previous matches, so everyone went into it thinking... United are back here. And then there was another game, November 17, I think, where um, Jesse played really well.
1: And let's get a view then to see how the Watford fans are feeling and the club are feeling ahead of this game against Manchester United. Here's Adam Leventile, who, of course,
0: covers the club for the Athletic. In terms of what Watford have been doing under Claudio Ranieri, the form isn't great. They've had the the good against Everton. They won 5-2 the bad against southampton which was their last home game when they lost 1-0 and the pretty pretty ugly against liverpool when they lost 5-0 in his first game which was the previous game at vicarage road prior to southampton but against arsenal there were some encouraging signs they showed some fight and they also showed a little bit more defensive solidity they've got their first choice fullbacks back now danny rose on the left kiko femenia on the right also, Nicholas and Kulu free agent signing, vastly experienced, been linked with Manchester United in the past, playing at centre half. So there are some positives, but they will be missing Yuri Kutska, who's their midfield doorman, heavily tattooed and likes to do a lot of running in that midfield. He's missing because he was sent off. At the Emirates. But there are danger men in the Watford side. I've already mentioned Ismail Assar. We know that Manchester United were thinking about signing him prior to nailing down eventually Jaden Sancho. So he will be keen to impress. Emmanuel Dennis is back as well. But look, this is Manchester United, and you should be winning at Vicarage Road. But with all the mood music around the club at the moment, it will be fascinating to see if Watford can build up ahead of steam and play with that determination and a little bit more organisation, then I think they can put United under pressure for at least a little bit of the game. And if they can get ahead, then we do know that United, recently, they have been crumbling. So it's going to be very, very interesting indeed. Look forward to it. Well, thank you for doing that,
1: Adam. feels like teams think that, United are there to be got at at the minute. I mean, I guess that's obvious, really, looking at, at recent performances. But for a, for a team like Watford, who have struggled a little bit, even under Claudio Ranieri, to be sort of sensing that there's a, a sort of a little bit of
3: incentive there is interesting, isn't it? United are there to be got at. You can see it from their perspective all day long. United have been wobbling badly. They've had poor results. Old Trafford is no longer a fortress. United are conceding too many goals. They keep going behind. Go at them. That's what you do if you were, if you were Watford. Um, you, you, Watford have had decent results against Manchester United in the past. United have got to overcome all of that with their superior players, uh, hopefully superior management, and superior tactics at, at Vicarage Road. There'll be a full house there, 21,000. The ground's really tight. I like going there. I don't think Watford... Watford's known New York as a place, but Vicarage Road's... Um, a good place with a decent away end as well. It's a big, big match for Manchester United. It, it, I honestly think if United were to lose and lose convincingly, I couldn't see a way out for the for the manager. But again, I'm not the one making that decision.
1: Another point to pick up on as well, Laurie. Um, a bit of Manchester United interest in the Watford side in terms of sort of the links to Esme Lassar in the past, who again has been a really important player for them. This season, but a couple of ex-reds in the team too. Ben Foster's in goal at the moment, filming himself on a GoPro. And Josh King seems to have rediscovered a little bit of form. I have to admit, I really enjoyed his hat-trick at Everson. I mean, he, he sort of really struggled to get any sort of opportunity under Carlo Ancelotti last season at Goodison Park. Was extremely frustrated about how all that went. And then to be able to go there and score a hat-trick... Your first time returning just a couple of months into the season was great. So they need to keep an eye on him as well, won't they? Because he's done damage to United before.
2: Yeah, uh, scored the winner, didn't he, for Bournemouth against United um, a couple of seasons ago? Um, again, another disastrous game that I was at. That was Bournemouth's first goal for six hours, I think. <laughs> just, at that point, the records <laughs> yeah. just tumble, don't they, when United come to town? But I was looking at it. That's his. There are his only goals of the season so far, Josh King. That yeah. hat trick and then you yeah. know, sort of an oasis in it, you know a uh, sort of bit of a desert of, of uh, non-scoring but you could see the the qualities that he's got in those finishes that he had and clearly Allegri gonna wanting him back at Manchester United in that period where they were trying to find anybody as a, as a centre-forward to come into the team. Obviously, it ended up being Odin Agarlo, who was just spoken about being a, a Watford player himself. You'd think that Solskjaer would at least know how to handle King. Um, Emmanuel Dennis is, is a player that I didn't know anything about until he was in my fantasy football team. Sorry to make that reference because he's so cheap and he scored a few goals. Um, so I guess he's a, a danger man as well. But... I just feel like it yeah, if, if Watford managed to take the lead, I do worry just because I know United have got a great record at comebacks um, you know, the last last year or so, but the current state of the team with that crowd getting up and energised for it, I just wonder. And, you know, Watford obviously got Claudio Ranieri as manager now who, you know, I enjoyed having as a you know, A manager during that crazy season when Leicester won the league. You know, he's he's a manager that's won the league more recently than Manchester United, which says a lot given where he's then gone on to afterwards. He sort of seems to have gone around the houses since leaving Leicester, but clearly he's he's got a bit of a a quality about him to kind of inspire players. Um, You know, he gets teams into a kind of organised shape. So that's something for United to consider. They haven't done great against breaking down teams who sit back and, and defend so um, yeah I, I don't know it's a real knife edge one for me this one it could it could they could walk away with it 3-0 winners like they did at Spurs and everyone was going you know what's all the fuss about but equally you know, I think one goal for Watford could change the dynamic
1: Andy have you seen any of Ben Foster's like podcasts and YouTube channel and things like that I mean he's the oldest player in the Premier League but he's down with the kids in this regard isn't he
3: yeah I quite like it I, I watched yeah. it when he came to Old Trafford last year for that cup game and you got a good insight. There's not many people filming in the areas and he's obviously got access all areas because he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a player. He's so I, I quite yeah. like the, the, the cut of his jib.
1: Andy, you've been the envy of many Manchester United fans in the last week or so because you've spent time with two absolute legends of the club, Brian Robson and of course Patrice Everett as well, who we've spoken about a little bit On talk of the devils but obviously we want to really get inside the insight of you writing his book and all the time that you've spent with him um because he's he's a very interesting character he's a fascinating character he's a great guy Um, So first of all, just explain to us the process of how you managed to convince Patrice to do a book. You've written about it in detail in an article on The Athletic, which I'd encourage anyone to go and look at, but just tell us the process because it wasn't exactly, I don't know, I don't know how I expected someone to approach someone to write a book, but this was maybe not how I'd
3: expect it to go. It's difficult, it took a long time. I first met him in 2015. I only knew him as a mixed zone journalist, so I didn't know him well. I was, I was asked to do a book with another Manchester United player and I, I had doubts about that. And I, I spoke to Gary Neville and he went, Patrice is the one you really want to speak to. He's got a great life story. Um, I said, put me in touch with him. He didn't. Um, he said, I'll speak to Rio. Rio's close to him. Um, Rio didn't get back to me. Then United rang Patrice for me, um, someone at United. And I was going to Italy to interview Hernan Crespo. I saw that Juventus were playing I got a message to Ever that I'd be in the mix zone after that Juventus-Sassoulo game. I turned up there. Some girls who had been out with lads who used to play football, lived in the town. They gave me a lift to the stadium. They blocked us trying to get into the stadium because they were good-looking girls. Yeah, yeah, you go through. So then I got waved into the stadium. I wait for Patrice for an hour after the match. People like Paul Pogba were walking past me. And then I'd handwritten him a letter on the hotel um, stationery saying, I think you've got a great life story. I'm told that you might be interested in doing a book. To, I've written 11 books. Uh, I'd like to do it with you. And uh, he walked through and I'm like, what pat, pat, boy! And he saw me and um, he went, Andy, Andy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't ring you back. And then I spoke to him for half an hour by event Juventus team bus. Uh, uh, he was weighing me up, I was weighing him up. Um, and then he said... Um, I definitely want to want to do a book. I'm going to put you in touch with my agent. His agent spent six weeks sussing me out, ringing people. And then he rang me up and I said, who've you rang? And he went, uh, this player, that player. And I thought, result, I got all right with him. I'm sure he wouldn't have said bad things about me. It's a long process. I mean, I could tell this story would go on yeah. and on and on. And um, you've then got to get a deal because I need to be paid. So we wanted to publish out of London, there's a lot of publishing houses in London and then once we got a deal in place, well before that I had to tell the publishers a flavour of what they were going to get so I was going to see him in, Cerini was playing for Juventus, he'd play every single game except the ones I'd turn up to so he started to think that I was cursing him and then he'd say to me things like do you think I should be on social media And we'd go to a restaurant, which would be closed. So we'd speak for like two hours in a lay-by by Turin Airport. And I'd say, you know, you're popular with United fans. If you go on social media, I think it'd be a good thing for you. Um, Paul Pogba was the one who persuaded him to go on there, not me. And he's obviously become really famous on social media. I'd go and see him in Juventus, then in Marseille. I'd go to see his friends in Paris. I got to meet all of his friends, all of his family. I wanted to do the book properly. I wanted him to do the book properly. I don't need to be wasting my time not doing it properly. And then it was pretty heavy. I'd turn up in Marseille thinking, we're going to speak about this today. And he just looked me in the eye and went, I've got something to tell you. And just unload about the sexual abuse he received when he was a child. And I couldn't tell anybody that. And I would just listen to him. And I felt it was very therapeutic that he hoped something good could come from it it was heavy and it got heavier and heavier and heavier and I just remember walking around Marseille with my head in a daze and then having to revisit really difficult areas and at other times he'd just be telling me stuff where I'd be laughing out loud about trying to blag the driving instructor doing his driving test where he'd like lean back he didn't bother with a seat belt because that wasn't what he did in his neighborhood he'd put the music on, he'd put his arm out the window, he'd like wave to his mate, doing, <laughs> you're doing your driving test here. Uh, And other times, he you know, he'd he'd moved to West Ham. i um, go and see him in London. I was once in his bedroom when he was in London. I just started feeling really sick. I said, excuse me. And I just went into his ensuite bathroom and vomited everywhere. And we've all interviewed loads of footballers. And I've never. Never in the bedrooms, I never Never in honest. the bedrooms <laughs> while vomiting. And then at other times, I went to see him. West Ham played United in 18. Still one of the worst games of football I've ever, ever seen. And I go back to his house afterwards, and like Paul Pogba would ring him and he'd speak in English. And I think, why are you speaking in English? You're both French, and I'm in the back of the car. Thinking, am I meant to be hearing this? But probably was meant to be hearing this because it was at a time when things were really difficult at Manchester United and then we waited a few years you know we got the book done Um, Patrice's marriage ended my dad died Uh, real life stuff heavy stuff and um, came out this year and it's selling really well we did a night in Manchester a few weeks ago I did that book to the best of my ability it was fantastic to work with I'm really happy with the book. It's getting good reviews. It's for you to make your mind up whether you think it's decent or a pile of shit. That's not, you know. I've just done it. We've got a good publisher behind it, and you know, it's been making head headline news. But mad character, you know. I'd just turn up and see him in Marseille. It'd be like a big panda outfit there. <laughs> what? What? What's that? Or you know, he'd meet my kids, and he was brilliant with them. And I'd go to his neighborhood in Paris, which was pretty challenging the area and you've got to do that i like to do i like to research properly could have been easy just to speak to him on zoom or whatever i don't think we knew what zoom was then, but i did it properly eye to eye and you tell me everything other times finally my wife would say you better look on the tv Uh, patrice has just jumped into a crowd kicking a fan and my first reaction to that would quite selfishly be, Oh no, what if he's going
1: Chapter to Chapter thirteen.
3: What if he's going to jail now? How's he gonna promote the book? I've spent so much time on this, I've not been paid for it yet. And then thinking, actually, makes him more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter thirteen, and then a message him and say, Are you okay? Goes, yeah, I'm okay. And like, he's, he's he's a character, all right.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. I love this game. Of course, as it's Patrice, is the name of the book. It's out now, so go and check it out. Laurie, in terms of full-backs for Manchester United in, in the modern era, he's it, it, as
2: good as he gets, isn't he, Patrice Everett. Yeah, and I, I remember one of his early games, I was in the Stretford end, I think it was against Fulham, and he was playing left-back, and he got out-jumped by Brian McBride, uh, and you're just thinking, this guy's not, not got a hope. He's rubbish, and that first game against well, his debut, Man City, right? His first 45 yeah. minutes
1: at the Etihad, blind...
2: <laughs> when, was it Fergie put Sylvester as the left-sided centre half to chat to him in French? Was it or he, he switched stuff around basically to try and compensate for the nightmare that everyone was having? He was only trying to stop Trevor Sinclair. <laughs> I would not mind. <laughs> listen, he went to a World <laughs> Cup around that time, didn't he? Um, <laughs> Probably, he's quite good in yeah. Um But yeah, you, you kind of you, you sort of thought, is, is this? F-? I mean, he'd obviously played for Monaco in a Champions League final, so you knew he had you know genuine talent. But would that translate over to the Premier League? And actually as he progressed clearly you know and as andy's book reveals the kind of early training sessions that he put in you know where he's giving it out as as much as he's is getting it and it's clearly a, a gladiatorial sort of combat arena united training at that time um and clearly came through that and, and he then became you know real character real strength about him bombing down that left wing you know energy for days um yeah I, i'm the, the book is a perfectly timed you know i think because he's obviously got this profile it's really interesting what you say about he was debating about coming on social media because now he's on instagram you know he, he does this crazy stuff where he dresses up as you know liam gallagher or whoever Um, and he's like, you know, off-the-wall kind of ideas, and and it's great to see, but then the other side of it where clearly the the biggest revelation of the book is the sexual abuse that he suffered, Andy, and I kind of wondered, when he's telling you that, you're obviously not prepared for that kind of level of of, of detail, and also, he hadn't told his mum at that point. How did you feel as a journalist hearing that, And, and did you feel... Because really, that stuff that it should be a counsellor listening, a trained expert. How did you sort of navigate that?
3: With difficulty. I remember one morning walking around Marseille. Um, he'd gone to training, and I'm thinking, I've got to tell, I've got to tell someone here. I told my mum, and I knew she wouldn't tell anybody at all. I had to tell somebody. I couldn't take it in. And I thought, why is he telling me this? I, I felt privileged that he was telling me this. I felt. He wanted some good to come from this, yet he hadn't told his immediate family. And and even only one month ago, he told me, I'd met him in Manchester, and he said, I'm going to fly to Paris now, I've got to tell my mum. And I'm thinking, you're really brave to do this. You don't have to do this. A lot of people hide the truth, when even when they do their own books. And he's just an open book in terms of saying absolutely everything, I just had to be diligent as a journalist and listen and ask questions and probe and get more and more detail. But then even this year, when the book had long, long been finished, he rang me up and said, there's more, I'm afraid. It's deeper than what I said. And I had to add that in at the end of the book. And his motivation for it coming out, he he wants people to do what he didn't do, even as an adult. And if you are being abused, tell people. Because even when he was a famous player at Monaco, the police came to see him and said, we've heard reports about this former school teacher of yours. No, no, no. And he regrets that. And yet, you know, I, I, I didn't get a, a train back and I'd say my trains broke down on the way home and he'd just be like, I don't love this train. I'm <laughs> just like laughing. And we did a night in Manchester a few weeks ago. He we walked on the stage singing. And I was just daring him. I was giving him shit. He was giving me shit back. And I'm like, uh, you reckon you're a Mancunian? it just a big blag. What would you order if you walked into a chippy? He's like, a, a mushy peas. I'm thinking, all right, fair enough. <laughs> and I'd say, if you're a Frenchman, yeah? Yeah, you're proud to be French, yeah? Yeah, of course I am. All right, then. Sing the French national anthem right here and now. Stands on a box, puts his hand on his heart, and just belts it out and I love characters and football is entertainment, isn't it? We should love this. We should embrace the, the these characters and it might not be for everyone. I, I get that. But in terms of a book subject, I, I don't regret my initial decision and hunch, which was to travel to Italy to try and to try and see him.
1: Yeah, it was definitely worth writing that letter, wasn't it? No doubt about that. And it's obviously made an absolutely brilliant read as well. Like I say, go and have a look at that. Get yourself a copy. Mine's on my bedside table and making my way through it. And it's absolutely brilliant. I can tell you that. Yeah, and Andy, not. Content with just spending a bit of time with Patrice Everett over the last few years. You've also spent a bit of time in the last couple of weeks with Brian Robson as well to speak about a film coming out entitled Robbo, the Brian Robson story. There's a great article up on the Athletic at the moment of you going through some of his most memorable games in his Manchester United career. But another United legend, another great player, and a fascinating character as well with a story to tell.
3: He was my childhood hero. You know, I loved him. Captain of Manchester United, Captain of England, the best player for United by a mile, by an absolute mile. I can remember singing Robbo sort of in them pretty grim early days of, of Fergie. As a journalist, it wasn't as easy, I'll be honest. Uh, there were bigger characters, there were more interesting people, I felt. And it took me a long time to get a sort of something in common with Brian. And I'd been to see him at West Brom, I'd been to Norway with him and I found, like, a thread where if you talked to him about pranks, he'd come alive. And even though he was this, like, captain of England, captain United, he was, like, the chief prankster. And I, I just shared, like, a, I liked his humour when it came to talking about things he'd done, like, you know, cutting up players' socks and putting nails through Ray Wilkins' shoes and dragging dead turtles off the beach on preseason tours and putting them in the bath for the assistant manager and I, I, and in his mind this was just all team bonding and he is of the old school um, what a great player and it's a joy to do him there's a big piece we've done it on the Athletic I just got him to talk in his words about some of his um, favourite games and goals and even injuries and it was just like reliving my childhood and he was just going through and I remember that goal for England in the 82 World Cup after 27 seconds it was the first game I ever re-watched on a video cassette because my auntie had a video machine. And he would say, like, what you might not know about that is after the match I got called in to do a drugs test. And um, because it'd been so hot, we'd been sweating and we couldn't pee. So there's me and Paul Paul Mariner, I think it was, we couldn't pee. So Robo being Robo, he asked the doctor, Not for water, you got a couple of beers. And there's two France players in the same room as well, also doing drug tests. And Rob was like, you know, they spoke French, so we didn't understand each other. But as soon as he saw that we'd had a couple of beers, they asked for a few themselves. So we just sat knocking knocking beers back. And after 15, 20 minutes, I could do a pee. And, but Paul Mariner couldn't. He, he came back three hours later and he, and he was like, he'd lost eight kilos or something mental because of the heat. And uh, as Laurie will know, and, and you'll know, because we're, we're all journalists, it's all about the detail. That's what makes stories interesting. It's all about telling you stuff you didn't know, learning stuff. And the opposite of that is boring, you know, Wigan's a tough place to go to. We're going to do our best. We're going to try and score. That's that's the stuff we hate. We want detail. And from Robbo to talk about some of the greatest moments in United's recent history, the 3-0 against Barcelona, the Cup Winners' Cup final, when not only was there, he was there, but he was the main man by a mile, absolutely idolised. The one thing he didn't... So I just spent two hours learning from him, and the only thing he learned from me was that the pop group, Pete Prefabs Brown, are from his village. I couldn't believe he'd never heard of him. Couldn't believe it. They're from your village, not your town. They're from the, your same village. He said, never heard of them. I'm not into music. I'm like, what? This is just pickling my head. How can you not have heard of Prefab Sprout? But when I look back, he left the village a year before they broke through. But I just still can't get my head around that someone somewhere hasn't said, you know, uh, Paddy who owns the garage around the corner is now a multinational famous pop star but as he just he sort of said apologetically to me I'm just not into music (laughs) so there you go Andy who's (laughs) Prefab Sprout have you not heard of him have you Laurie never well maybe Robbo's right and I'm wrong and I'm prepared to hold my hands up people listening to this will definitely know some Prefab Sprout tunes
0: What I wondered,
2: Andy, because so Brian Robson was, you know, on the way out basically. When I started going to, he, he was gone by the time I started going to matches, and certainly he was, you know, the injuries had caught up with him. Did you sense any regret where he was with United when when he was, you know, dominating midfield for Manchester United? They weren't really win, they were winning FA Cups basically and Cup Winners Cup, but the, the the first title he was there lifting it aloft. Um, but it wasn't really his title necessarily, and then you know it was phased out. Did you sense any regret from that that he came just a little bit before the dominance?
3: Real regret that he didn't start in the '94 FA Cup final. Real disappointment there. And he'd say it on the record, the manager. I disagreed strongly with him. I had a great game in the semi final. I scored my last United goal. Regret because if the team was full of Robsons in the 1980s, United wouldn't have, would have won the league every single year. He was that good. I mean, Juventus wanted him and he was seriously considering going to, to Italy and regret that United didn't have a squad to win the league. So as soon as they picked up a few injuries, including him, the form would, would plummet and United didn't have the money. He was the most expensive player in Britain when he joined in, in 81 from West Brom and he had four or five um, good lieutenants around him, but maybe a squad needs to have 14 in, in them real sort of unflinching when he talked about dishing it out to the players who weren't performing. And in my mind, I'm thinking over and over again, the team needs him now. The team needs a Robson now, now, now. And he's just saying times have changed. You couldn't get away with the abuse he gave out to his own teammates. But he said, because he could take it. And I'd say, well, did they give give it back to you? Because they were hard men. Paul McGrath, Norman Whiteside, Kevin Moran. And he just went... No, I didn't do anything wrong. I love that. (laughs) I love that. He's so brilliant. And and one more thing I'll say on him. I went to see Diego Maradona of all people in Mexico in 2018. And I got an interview with him. And it's one of the highlights of my journalistic career. And he just said it it, it saw that was from Manchester, and he just said, um, the best English players I played against are the best players. British, British. Do you know of um, Brian Robson? Like, of course I do. And he said him and Graeme Souness is obviously Scottish, but they were the two we picked out. And I told Robbo this. And I said, Maradona also said he should have got a penalty at Old Trafford in 84. He went, he's wrong there. He's completely wrong. We battered him. And he says it in this sort of County Durham accent Um Never meet your heroes, they say, but uh, I think with Robson, I'm glad that I spent a few hours with him, and I hope that people enjoy the article on The Athletic.
1: Yeah, it's up there at the minute, along with, of course, uh, Andy's take on, on writing Patrice Everett's book and all the other articles that we spoke about today. Laurie's take on the bulging mailbag that we sort of had a look into at the start of the podcast. Remember, you can get a 33% discount on a subscription to The Athletic when you go to the Athletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Okay, that's it for Talk of the Devils. We'll be back, of course, on Monday to review the game at Watford, no matter what happens, and of course, dissect what's a big week for Manchester United as well. Andy, thank you for joining us. Laurie, thank you as well, and thank you for listening as well. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.
0: The Athletic.